You're listening to the Creatively Connected Classroom Podcast, episode number 25. Welcome to the Creatively Connected Podcast from Education Closet, connecting teachers and ideas one glue stick at a time. Here's your hosts and K-12 Art Chat founders, Matt and Laura Grundler. This is Matt and Laura, and welcome to the Creatively Connected Classroom. Uh, we have yet another amazing host with us today uh, by the name of Scott Nunez, and his uh, topic was about art options in student choice. And so we're really excited to have Scott, and who is not an art educator. Which is what we love about it. In his, in his <laughs> bio, he, there are some things we'll, we'll talk about. So, all right. So welcome, Scott. We appreciate you being here and uh, glad you could join us on the podcast today. Hey, so thank you. So excited to have you. Scott, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what your journey was in becoming an educator? And you know, why you are into creativity in the classroom? Yeah, I'd love to. So going in education, I'm fairly new. This is uh, my third year in education, but I'm pretty familiar with it. Uh, I was homeschooled for a while and so felt like a teacher in that sense and uh, helped teach my brothers uh, being you know, homeschooled alongside them, you know, being the oldest of three kids would help the younger ones out with their things. And so I had that. And uh, what got me into teaching was coaching. And so parents would always come back and say, hey, you know what? Why don't you teach? Why don't you teach? You're really good at this coaching thing. You love coaching. It's pretty much the same thing. And uh, when the economy tanked, I started looking at different things. I'm a former graphic designer. And I thought, Hey, okay. I think we this, got something in common there, Scott. So, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so then I thought, okay, I, I need to find something that I can actually uh, support my family with. Let's see. And it came down to nursing and education. I started taking classes for both, fell in love with teaching, dropped all the nursing stuff, and I've been all in ever since. Wow. That's so cool. You're actually the second person on our podcast that we've spoken to that is a public school teacher that maybe grew up in a homeschool setting, which I find very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And and I have uh, cousins that were homeschooled and I, I, do, I do hear from them that they, they had to kind of be teachers growing up in a way, like they had to find their own way through that. So. That will either kind of make or break you, I guess, as far as getting you to decide to be a teacher. Either you have a really bad experience with it or you have a really good experience. And then, yeah. Well, like anything else, right? No, absolutely. Yeah. 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 For me, it was all good doing the homeschool thing. And I didn't do it for all of my, my years in education um, growing up. So I started in fourth grade and was homeschooled through eighth grade. So four solid years of, uh, of schooling and then I went back to public education in high school. I really wanted to do sports. And that was the only way at the time you could do sports was to go to the public sector, I guess. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so where, where are you, or I guess, where are you from and where are you now? So <laughs> I didn't get too far. Uh, <laughs> born and raised in Modesto, California and wow. still in Modesto, California. <laughs> I did go away for a short time. Uh, 
I did a, a short stint for about a year and a half on the coast here in California in a little town called San Luis Obispo. Like <laughs> We're very familiar with San Luis. <laughs> Actually, Laura and I lived uh, in Fresno. And so oh, okay. We, and we have really good friends that live in Clovis. And so, but my brothers actually went to school in Cal Poly and in San Luis. So I, I know that. Area yeah, we really know well. that that area of the country very well, actually. <laughs> my first teaching job was in Clovis, California. So um, I'm curious what, also what you have coached and are you still coaching? Yeah, still coaching. I've only coached swim and that's what I still coach. Okay, been so coaching a little over 10 years on and off, mostly on. Uh, I started coaching for a rec league and then transitioned in high school swim. And now I'm the varsity boys swim coach. Awesome. Cool. That's always a juggle that. though, having it to, to juggle oh. the, the coaching responsibilities and the teaching responsibilities and the and late family. evenings and the weekends at swim meets and, and family yeah. and all of those things. It's yeah. quite the juggle. It, it's a lot right now. Definitely uh, overworked in a good way, though. I, I yeah. love it. It does energize me. So it, it doesn't take away. It kind of fills my tank mentally and just, you know, as part of my own just like wellness, it definitely fills me. But in terms of energy, oh, it's so draining and making <laughs> family. Uh, yeah. Family's huge uh, for me. So I, I try and put them first, but now they're actually kind of second right now with work. Work's kind it of happens. taking priority, but we'll definitely get back to the proper order of things come summertime. Oh, definitely. Cool. Um, so I guess kind of leading into, you know, the topic of your chat, what, what inspired you or what is kind of what led you into this idea of art options and student choice? So I think that goes back to my time in public education as a student. I had a teacher that gave me a D plus in art and Ouch. I don't blame her. My, my <laughs> stuff was not the greatest, but I tried exceptionally hard and I showed up before class or like before school, rather not mm-hmm. before class, uh, came after school, got help and I still got a D plus. It wasn't for lack of effort that I got that D plus. And so that always stood out to me and yeah. I really liked art and that made it very negative for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe up until about my sophomore, junior year in college. So for a while, for about four or five years, I just didn't do art. After that experience, I tried to stay away from it. And that's kind of when I got into graphic design. I had a web design business and then had to do some graphic design for that. And then that kind of brought me out. And then some people saw my artwork and they saw my little doodles. They were really sketch notes. So when we were in class, you know, I would do associative drawings and they saw those sketch notes and, Hey, that's pretty cool. You know, I can see what you're drawing there. And then, you know, after getting some positive affirmation, I got back into it a bit. And that makes me really passionate about using that as a choice to connect my students to the material. And I've had great success with that. That's awesome that you turned that bad experience, yeah. which I'm blown away by the fact that you were putting in that much effort and the teacher still gave you a D plus. But anyway, that's for a later conversation. But I'm really <laughs> yeah. glad and excited that you took that negative aspect and didn't just totally cut it out. I mean, you did for a little bit, but 
you know, you came back to it and you, and you, you found that as a, an extra connection to help kids. And I think that's awesome. So tell us a little bit how you're using student choice in your classroom and how you're giving kids artistic options to connect to material that you're teaching. Yeah, so I'm really branching out and still just continuing to offer more options for choice, but I've really narrowed it down to where, hey, if this is something where it's information-based and they can show me and tell me and it doesn't need to be an essay, then I want to have student choice and I want to offer art options. I want to offer ed tech options. I want to offer uh, physical options, manipulatives. I don't want to limit my students. And so I, I do push for the art options and I offer several and I give them guidelines, but then there's usually some little caveat, some option that allows for choice beyond the options. And they just need to get that approval from me. They need to come up with a business plan for that option, if you will. So, so the students are still planning in essence before they just jump, you know, jump into it. Right, right. And I become better and better. Each time I do something, I offer more checks and balances. Mm -hmm. So by the time they get to the end of an assessment, they don't end up, you know, with, with a poor grade per se, without any feedback. There's many Mm -hmm. checks for understanding along the way, many opportunities for feedback. And then as part of their grade, we'll go back and we'll look did you take that feedback I offered you? And if you did, then that will improve upon your grade. But if you just keep turning in the same product, for example, then that that grade will not advance any further. But if you make modifications to it, you're trying. There's a lot given for effort. And if you're able to convey the same thing, for example, if we're reading a novel, One thing I want to start doing is uh, rather than just writing essays on symbolism, hey, can you show me an an art piece? Mm -hmm. And then can you verbally or either on paper tell me how this fits with the novel? So if we're talking about To Kill a Mockingbird, maybe uh, some symbols that represent uh, the character of Tom Robinson or Atticus Mm -hmm. Finch, the Mm -hmm. lawyer. Maybe you could 3D print those. Maybe you could draw those. Maybe you can build it out of popsicle sticks, something like that. Maybe you construct the the courthouse based upon the details given in the novel. And then you can really detail where everyone is and what's going on verbally or in a flip grid. Uh, There's so many options right now. I don't like to close those off. I, I like to give them just a few options, but then I have that option where they can kind of choose their own adventure, if you will. Yeah, I love that. I, I love that you're throwing the ed tech options in there as well. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of information lately about um, Spark Post and how you can use Spark Video or Spark Post to create really great tools. Um, and, you know, the other thing I was just thinking about when you were talking about this feedback is I've been thinking a lot about the feedback loop. And I had a really great conversation with an administrator that's also a former coach. And we were talking about how the fine arts and coaches in particular are exceptionally good at the formative assessment because they give that ongoing feedback. Because when we're coaching, you know, either for you, it would be at the at the pool or, you know, I was a volleyball coach. You're in the midst of having to make decisions 
to, you know, if you, you have to correct something when you see it, Mm -hmm. you know, if you see a kiddo and they're going up to, to make a hit on a ball and they're the way they take off on their foot is wrong, you know, they're going to get injured. And so you immediately have to correct that and you give feedback in that moment. So there's something about coaching. I think that lends itself really well to the classroom in that feedback and formative assessment. Do you find yourself leaning on some of those skills? Oh, definitely. And especially after this summer, I went to this conference called Schoology Next down in San Diego. This year, it's in Boca Raton, Florida. But I met Catlin Tucker, and she's all about blended learning. And one of her main things is giving that formative feedback throughout the process. And so she doesn't do a lot of grading at the end. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned from her is that you're really grading in class. And so your grading time outside of class is easier. It's easier to give the student a grade. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're doing visible learning, which incorporates John Hattie's research. (laughs) You're having clarity. Yeah. 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 They know about what grade they're going to get before they're done because they've gotten that uh, feedback throughout. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's what they choose to do with it. I mean, I'm thinking about those times that I've been assistant coach uh, with my dad uh, wrestling and, you know, it's the same way. It's that immediate at the moment, constant immediate feedback. So, well, and I think that there's going back to the choice component. And then even if you have a a feedback link like that and you're, it really gives students voice. It gives them the ability to own their learning in a different way. So they have more there. I guess they find more value in it and they seem to really take ownership of it. Yeah, I, I agree. I've really seen that with some students. It's not perfect by any means, but a definite improvement. And so there was one, for example, we were in a meeting with the parents and some other teachers and some admin and the student showcased how much she liked the student options and how her grade turned around in my class once I started offering more options. And then we have the data, of course, to support that. Once we gave her more options, she became more invested in the classroom. And uh, she did better that semester and ended up passing where she wasn't passing any of her other classes. So that really made me feel good. Now, that's not the case with everyone, but it's a growing trend in my classes. And I like that. What would you say to somebody who's, you know, kind of considering the the student choice, you know, and, and leaving more choices? What are some, what are some obstacles? What are some snags? What are some flags that people could be aware of when going into that? Cause it's not, it's not necessarily for everybody. So well, it could be, but I think that it's scary. Yeah, I think that, you know, especially if you have a curriculum that that is pretty boxed in, it's very scary to go outside the box to do something different. And, and, you know, there's this equity conversation around that, too. Well, you know, I I, as an admin used to hear that from teachers all the time. Well, if I give this student that choice, then how I'd have to give everyone that choice. And that's (laughs) they all have to do the same thing. You know, I don't know. I know that I heard that frequently when I was an assistant principal. So what are, you know, you said you were teaching in year three now. What are some, what are some obstacles that you've come across? Yeah, the most surprising one for me was admin and parent uh, pushback. Like, where are the worksheets? 
Like, really? <laughs> oh you're asking for worksheets? Really? <laughs> wow. you're, you're not happy I'm doing this? I was blown away That's by surprising. that at first. Yeah. And I'm so not. having kind of a game plan for that and just sticking by your data. Uh, one thing that's really nice is that I use my LMS's mastery tracking. So Schoology has this mastery tracking. I, I think different LMS's have it as well. And I use that to showcase, hey, if you're doing the work, you're going to pass my class with a C or better. Those that do the in-class work and the small amount of homework I assign for the projects. If you just do those, you're just going to do so much better in my class. You will not fail. And then I can show the admin that data. Mm-hmm. Be like, hey, look at this. These kids did it. These kids did it. That's why they're not doing so well. And we have to find a way to engage them or they're not doing all of the things. So that'd be number one. Just prepare for some kind of pushback. You can't predict that, but just know it's not going to be perfect. Second thing would be to start small. Uh, I wouldn't go in and do a full choice board for your first one. (laughs) I would offer minor or minimal Mm -hmm. student choice, like a this or that. And so it could be an art option or a writing option. That's how I recommend starting something like that or offering certain tiers of of options, things um, like a tic-tac-toe board, something like that, where you have to have a writing element, have to have an art element, and you have to have a speaking listening element, something like that, something that aligns with whatever your standards are. I'm obviously coming from an ELA perspective. So mm-hmm. always have to have a reading, writing component, a speaking, listening component. And then I just kind of weave the art in there somewhere. I just tack it on as another layer mm-hmm. and uh, students really buy into that. Hey there, it's Susan from Education Closet. Did you hear the big news, my friend? The Arts Integration Certification Program is open for enrollment. This is only open once per year and only until March 15th. If you've ever thought about expanding your skills in arts integration or maybe even a career change, be sure to check out this program. And this year, we have something new. You can choose to either take the program with a cohort of others online or totally independently at your own time and pace. For all the details and to apply, head on over to educationcloset.com forward slash certification. Now, let's get back to the conversation. I mean, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about our current, our middle school curriculum. Um, you know, we have a lot of uh, self, self-evaluation, um, but there's a lot of questioning that's involved there where the kids are kind of having to give their rationale to, you know, why they chose a particular thing or why they, what, you know, if we were talking about elements or principles, you know, what elements do they use and, you know, where do they see it or how does it work throughout their piece? And so they're really having to think and be able to explain past just the, the immediate, you know, one word answer or the, to, to give the why of, you know, what they did to choose that. Yeah. I think, I mean, whenever you offer choice, this is just my humble opinion. I think that there has to be a why. I mean, you know, I think that Scott said brilliantly, you know, you have to go back to your standards 
you have to look at those standards. You have mm-hmm. to unpack the standards. And the teacher has to have a why, but the students have to have a why. And then they have to be able to justify and explain their why. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's really where you see the mastery of the learning. It's one of those funny things that we hear as art teachers all the time. I, I didn't think that there was writing in art class. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. So, oh, yes, wait. You mean, well, that's really easy. Anybody can just splatter paint everywhere. Well, no, there was actual thought that was involved in that yes, splattering of paint. It wasn't it. just... Throw yeah. it on them, throw it yeah. on and call it good. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> Scott, you mentioned an LMS and you mentioned uh, Schoolology. You know, I for some of our listeners, they might not know what an LMS is. Um, I know some school districts still haven't adopted them. And I'm also very curious in this, you said that Schoolology has a mastery tracker. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So an LMS It stands for Learning Management System. So with that, you can house all of your content on there digitally. You can also track your grading. It works as a gradebook as well. So at my site, or my district rather, we have a separate gradebook that links up through LTI technology, which that acronym, I don't remember. I just know LTI (laughs) You can only remember so many acronyms. Yeah, so many acronyms. Yeah. Uh, and that one links up with a lot of other technologies and tools. So I really like that, like Nearpod or Edpuzzle or Wakelet, some of those edtech tools that can help you curate your, your information and showcase what you're doing. Now, with the mastery uh, grade tracking. Uh, that's really nice. So when I as- assign an assignment, I can link it to common core state standards. And then a lot of what I'm doing this year too, is also grading on a rubric. And I've learned share that rubric right away, not at the end, because then the student can self-assess mm-hmm. it, uh, to their benefit, not to their detriment to see mm-hmm. it. even you can put it in student-friendly language, but maybe also show them kind of the textbook definition of what you're doing. For example, I teach ninth and 10th grade English. So Common Core State Standard writing for ELA number one or 10.1 um, has to do with having a clear thesis. So whenever we're working on our essays or coming up with a thesis, I can you know, use that, or it also has something about evidence in there. And so whenever we're doing any writing or showing evidence for something like in a project, I can link that standard to the assignment and also link it to a particular checkbox or area of my rubric. So when I go back through and check, I could look and say, oh, hey, Jimmy is doing really well at doing his topic sentences and his thesis His background information is great. However, he's really weak at citing evidence. And this is evident in the last five assignments. That's awesome. Uh, So it's really neat. So our district isn't making us do that. I've kind of just put it on myself. But it's been like micro teaching for me, really. I can go back. Ooh, I messed up on that assignment. <laughs> like they did not do so well. But some, yeah, I mean, that's something exactly wrong there in my thinking. teaching. Wow. I mean, just the 
the reflective piece of that, being able to look at that. As, Holy cow, as an great. educator, yeah. I mean, as as a teacher, you always, you're hoping at least to be able to reflect on it and say, okay, what didn't work? What did work? And that sounds like you've got the, the data right there to, to, to really help see it. Identify it. Yeah. That's amazing. Hmm. I'm jealous. Look into that. Yeah. I really like it. Yeah. And they have a free basic version. Now, I don't know if the mastery tracking portion is included in the basic. I'd have to follow up on that, but you could always try it out and yeah. see if you like it. And then if so, mm-hmm. then pop for a little, little bit more and get the mastery tracking if that's not included. We'll have to talk to our ed tech people in our mm-hmm. district. <laughs> Shout out to Schoolology. <laughs> Speaking of ed tech, I mean, Scott, you sound like a little bit of an ed tech nerd. <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I'm, I'm not judging. I think it's awesome. But I, I can, I mean, you know, you, you're throwing out terms right and left that I'm like, what puzzle? That sounds awesome. <laughs> So the fact that it's a puzzle in the name. Yeah, yeah. I like puzzles. So, I mean, why? Like, what what makes you an ed tech nerd? Yeah, so what what makes me an ed tech nerd kind of goes back with the graphic design. So I had my own um, web design company when I was 12 years old. I taught myself how to code HTML and then learned a little bit of JavaScript and went along along the way. And I think I was just ahead of my time. It was during the dot-com boom and uh, teachers just didn't know what was going on. And I didn't know how to market myself and be successful. and Because you were 12, uh, you said. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> quite a while, <laughs> even into my early adulthood. So I did that from uh, about 96 until 2008-ish. So I, I did that for a while, actually a little longer, 2010. I, I did freelancing for a while unsuccessfully. It's a tough, tough business. You have to be... Yeah really talented in something um, that's happened. Um, and have lots of connection it. and lots of experience. Well, yeah, yes. I think that that's a huge part of it. But I will say, you said unsuccessfully, but here's what I would say to that. I think it was very <laughs> successful because you brought all of that knowledge into the yeah. classroom to share with yeah, your students. That is the success. And I think that, you it know, you, you try. Like just being able to show kids that perseverance and that, you know what, you tried something it made me better because and of it. it wasn't a failure just because I decided to do this something different. It's just that I think, I think kids need to see that. Yeah. I think that they need to know that all of our experiences bring us to the point that we are now, you know, and, and make us this great teacher. Yeah. I think that's huge. I think owning your failures or, you know, fail forward, if you will, like failing with the intent to do better, and to get up and try again and not get down like with what I had shared about the art experience, getting mm-hmm. that deep plus, like it got me down for a while, but then oh, yeah. eventually I realized, Hey, you know, that's one person's opinion and mm-hmm. they had a certain set of criteria that they were looking for. And I didn't fit that, but that was only one person. That's not everybody. Yeah. There's people out there that like my art. Yeah. I mean, I know for Matt and I, it's, it's, it's kind of devastating to hear that, that just 
Oh, and it's just yeah. hard to hear. Yeah. <laughs> and an art teacher would, I mean, that's just so against our core beliefs as art educators and as educators, period. You know, the idea is to see growth. It's not to see that you're the most, you're not, I mean, we're not creating Michelangelo's. No. Like we're not out there looking for Da Vinci. We're out there trying to grow understanding and you know, one of the things we talk to teachers a lot about is these enduring understandings, you know, as an art teacher, you know, I taught ninth and 10th grade mostly. And I want, I was very aware that my students, a lot of them were there just to get the credit so they could move on. But what I thought of all the time is what are they going to take away from this class? It's going to stick with them. You know, what's that one thing? Is it going to be that when they go to a museum and they're 45 and they have their kids in tow that they'll be able to say, my art teacher taught me a little bit about composition. And when I look at this, I can kind of break down the the pieces and I understand it a little better. That's really what it's supposed to be about. You know, it's yes, you will have the exceptional kids that are the real arties and they're going to make art their entire life. And that's super awesome and fun. But the majority of the kids, you have to think about what are their big takeaways going to be? What is going to be the thing that sticks with them throughout their life? I always try to think about that. Yeah, that's huge. And I think art, And English, even though there's a big push for STEM, we have the STEAM movement now. There's a huge push for these art and English and uh, humanities right now in terms of just marketing, just from a business. Oh, yeah. How do you sell your story, your product? It all comes from that uh, person-to-person connection. And that yeah. comes through the visual aspect that yeah. comes through the written aspect or the audio aspect. And so those things shouldn't be overlooked and they should be encouraged. And we have so many underachievers, not, not a lack of talent, but people no, that are yeah. not applying themselves or selling themselves short. Maybe they had a teacher like myself mm-hmm. uh, who put them down. Uh, I think that's becoming more and more rare, but maybe they haven't felt highlighted. And so when I see those talents or maybe those talents uh, are budding, I really try and jump on it mm-hmm. right away. Hey, this is good. Just like with coaching. Oh, what you're doing right now is really good. Mm-hmm. Right now, keep doing that. You're not quite there yet, but you're going to get better. That purposeful practice will help uh, generate a more perfect product down the line. I like that purposeful practice. You know, yeah. as as an educator, I mean, I think about it all the time. I'll see a kid and, and it'll frustrate them, but I'll be like, okay, that's a good start. And they're like, but I'm done. I'm like, no, that's a good start. And so then they go back and they've got to rework it a little bit more. And then they come back and they're like, oh, oh. hey. This actually is a lot better now. <laughs> right. So. I like I like that purposeful practice as well. Mm-hmm. We may have to you should coin that. Yeah, I may have <laughs> taken that. I know I definitely absorbed that from I'm trying to think of the piece I teach it. It's called Outliers. I don't know what the Oh my gosh. Is. I have it on the shelf right okay. here. Yeah, we yeah. we're we're, yeah. we're very uh very versed in that. Is that Malcolm Gladwell? Uh, yes, there yes. you go. There yeah. you go. The yeah. ten thousand hours. Yes. So. Uh, to become a master at something. So I talked to them about that, like, hey, very few of us, you know, (laughs) have this natural talent where we're just going to skyrocket. Most of it comes from purposeful practice or just 
practicing intentionally to get better. And if you do that, then that's where you can do anything you want. That's where you can fulfill that Walt Disney quote where he says, uh, if you can dream it, you can do it. Right. Absolutely. Um, You had mentioned before about your uh, podcast and I guess you're, you're getting ready to kick off a podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh yeah. We'll help promote that a little bit as well. (laughs) Hey, good, good looking out. Yeah. So I'm starting a podcast uh, later on this week here uh, with my buddy, Matt Ketchum and he's a TOSA. So a teacher on special assignment. He's our district's ed tech coach. And so he's well-versed in ed tech. And then I'm interested in ed tech too, as you (laughs) pointed out and noticed, I'm an ed tech nerd, if you will. And uh, so our podcast is the TNT ed tech podcast. And so we, I don't think we have anything on our website right now, but it's TNT. I'm sorry. All, all I, I think about is ACDC. Song. I was like, ACDC <laughs> right. popped in my head right away. That's exactly as I was like, yeah. <laughs> Our son loves that song. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good song. So, yeah, imagine that, but with that tech, right? Nice. We're, we're, we're blowing up your speakers. With there you go. Nice. There you go. All right. Sounds like a lot of fun. Well, um, as we come to the close of our of our little interview here, we always like to ask, "What are your parting words of wisdom that you would like to share with the listeners, either about student choice or just your professional practice? What is something that you have found that you just feel the need to share as a as a words of wisdom?" I would say two two takeaways. One, don't be afraid and start small with student choice, you know, this or that option, or maybe three options, keep it really small, try it out a few times. Once you got it figured out, then expand and offer more and more options and link those options to standards. So you're good, fit it into your curriculum, do what you're already doing and just make little tweaks. And then secondarily, because you might be an outlier where you're at, go ahead and find like-minded people. And for me, the best place to do that has been on Twitter, developing a PLN, which is a professional learning network. Mm -hmm. So connecting with educators like you guys and getting feedback, seeing what other people are doing. That's the best professional development I've ever had, even though I go to these big conferences across the nation. Twitter and social media is where it's at in terms of connecting with educators and getting ideas and being better. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Fully agree. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I can't, I mean, I can't argue. Nothing yeah, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's our philosophy and that's what we have. That's why we're creatively that's, connected. That's right. Yeah. So, all right. Well, Scott, we certainly appreciate it. We look forward to talking with you and sharing with you some more via, via Twitter and uh, hopefully eventually we'll get to meet face to face. Oh, yeah. I look forward to that. Yep. All right. Thank you, Thank you, Scott. Scott. We appreciate it. And, All right. Uh, thanks, guys. We'll let you know when this uh, when this airs. So Okay. Hey. All right. All right. Thanks. thanks. Bye. All right. See you guys. Heads up, 7up, friends. If you've been enjoying these episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Creatively Connected Classroom podcast. You'll get a notification every time we release a new episode each and every week. And... 
take a screenshot and put it on your favorite social media, Twitter, Insta, Facebook, you name it. Tag Education Closet and K-12 Art Chat so we can reach out and say thanks. And if you really love us with all the feels, give us a review and or a rating over on iTunes. It helps others find the show and connect with our incredible community. Thanks for all your support.